I live, eat, and breathe small firm lifestyle or desire or career or profession, however we want to frame it. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Where Accountants Go, the Accounting Careers Podcast. I'm Mark Goldman, a CPA and your host for the show. Well, today we have a guest that truly is multifaceted. When I invited Carl Peterson on the show, I primarily did it because he is the VP for small firm interest at AICPA, and he's been in practice himself for many years. However, as we got into this episode, and as you'll be able to tell, we covered much, much more than just those items. Yes, we definitely talked about his current role some, as well as the practice that he owned for many years. But we also talked about how he had to decide to get serious about his college career towards the end of college so that he could successfully go ahead and graduate how that affected his early career options, also about how that helped to ultimately work out to shape him into the great mix of experience that you see today. We even talk about a little advice for working with your spouse because he did for many years and just a whole lot more. There truly is a lot of value in this episode. And yes, if you are curious about working for a smaller firm, meaning not a regional or a national firm, but more of a local firm, this is going to be a great episode for you as well. But if you simply are curious about accounting careers in general, Carl's story covers many more facets than I originally realized. There is quite a bit of variety in this episode. If you do enjoy and learn something from this episode, please share it with a friend. I know I've talked about leaving ratings before, and I really appreciate those as well. But I was thinking about it, and probably the best way to help someone find the show is to actually share it with a friend that might benefit. And so if you have a coworker or maybe a fellow student that is an accounting major, someone that you know well that would benefit from the show, please do share it out. And if you happen to be a student and you think your accounting professor may find value in the show, we've had several accounting professors on the show, and I try to structure it as career night on demand, basically. So share it with your accounting professor as well. They may get a lot of value out of it. And as always, if there's anything I can do for you personally in your own career or for accounting organizations that you're involved in, please reach out to me as well. I'm happy to help in any way that I can. Well, with that, let's go ahead and get started with our guest for this week. Here's Carl Peterson. Well, hello, Carl. Welcome to the show. Hey, Mark. I'm super excited to be here. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, for the audience, we have Carl Peterson, who's the VP for Small Firm Interest at AICPA, joining us for the program today. And as with all guests, I invited Carl on the show for many reasons, and I'm really glad he decided to accept the invitation. Among those, though, are that he himself owned a practice for many years and went through both starting it and exiting it eventually, but also he didn't have exactly the typical start that many accounting majors have had, at least in recent years. He had to work for those initial opportunities. Plus, given that he now works in small firm interests, I figured that it would be a good discussion given that many of us accountants eventually desire to have our own practice, whether big or small, actually. So this is definitely going to have a lot of value for on many fronts, definitely. Well, Carl, before we get to the present time, let's make sure we cover your overall journey in some detail. What led you to decide to consider accounting as a possible career choice in the first place? Wow. It actually goes back to high school. When I was in high school, my senior year, 
looking to get out, looking to go to college. I had extra credit time or whatever, you know, like, I don't know what they were called back then. Not a required credit hours available. And I took a basic accounting class and the debits and credits ended up coming pretty easy. And the teacher noticed that I was not really being challenged. And they let me actually get through that really quickly and kind of advance through the class and finish that class up. And then they let me take another level of accounting on independent study. And that really just changed everything. I had enrolled and was accepted at uh, Kansas State University to be an electrical engineer. I thought that's really what I wanted to do. But after taking those two classes, it really changed my mind. And so before I moved, you know, when I moved into the dorm, it said my name on the dorm, Carl Peterson, in the major electrical engineering. I'm like, nope, cross that baby. I'm going into accounting. (laughs) So that's really what got me started. Interesting. So you take it as an elective in high school and basically you were doing so well, they let you finish it before the semester was even done and start the next level. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you would think that, I hate to say that you would think that that probably sets me up to be, whoa, you finished those two things early in high school. You, when you went to college, you must have like blasted through accounting and everything. That's not really the case though. So I (laughs) It'll be interesting to see where this conversation goes because my grades were, I was not, when I got to college, for various reasons, my dad worked for the federal government and he moved, my parents moved and my family moved, my younger brother and everything moved before I finished high school. And so while I was achieving these great things academically in high school, I was given this freedom that I'm not sure any high school student should really have. And so when I got to college at Kansas State, it was a great place for education. It was also a great place to party. And Aggieville in Manhattan, Kansas, I get to know it very, very well. So I would just say that while my accounting career started really high, on a high mark with those grades, when I went to college, I had a good time in school. I'll just say that. Okay. I love it. You started at, at a high point and it was all sort of downhill from there. For, for right. And, right, it, right. <laughs> yeah. It's my fourth year. So my fourth year, I go, holy buckets, you know, I may not graduate in four years like I wanted to. I better get my act together. And I killed myself that fourth year with, I don't know what era age you are or anything, Mark, but back then 15 credit hours was full time in college. I went to like 28 and 30 credit hours to get done on time. So anyway, oh that's how gosh. I got started. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I appreciate you sharing that for two reasons. First of all, I think it's reality for a lot of people that get into college yeah. and they have more freedom. But then also that may fit into the next part of your story because I was curious how you got your first professional job. I got the idea in our pre-show conversation that it was more difficult maybe than just signing up for an internship. And, and now maybe I'm seeing why. Um, <laughs> maybe to do with it. Right. Very true. Very true. Did that affect you getting started? And I guess if so, how did you get started? What was your first job? Yeah, it did affect me getting started because you're then limited, right? You don't have all the options that some of your friends that are in your accounting classes ultimately have when you graduate. And they're able to interview with the big four, the big eight back then. And back then, you know, when they're doing interviews on campus, they had a certain criteria of putting you put your name on the big eight, big four list for an interview. And I couldn't do it. I didn't have it. And I seriously had one class in my fourth year auditing and Dr. Fox, I just remember this. It was a great class, great professor, but I was worried about my grades because I struggled in audit and I was just glad to pass. So anyway, it was harder because I had to look for those opportunities that didn't have those limitations that I created on myself by not having stellar grades. So I had to focus a little bit harder. What was fortunate was that my parents moved to Minnesota. Like I grew up in Kansas. My parents moved to Minnesota, worked for the federal government. And uh, they had some friends that worked at uh, Arthur Anderson. 
And I was looking for a job. And of course, I didn't qualify for an internship at all. My parents moved when I was a junior in high school. So in between my senior year of high school and going into college, I came up to Minnesota and I was fortunate to just get a job. And it was an administration at Arthur Anderson. So I wasn't an intern. I can't put that on my resume or anything like that. But I got a job within, technically, I guess, within the industry. But it was an interesting job because all I did was proofread financial statements out loud with somebody else. But I knew I wanted to be in this environment. I didn't know if Big 8, Big 4 was for me or not, but those doors really weren't open for me. So it was a struggle to, to really figure out how I'm going to find that job. I'll tell you what I did. When I graduated from college, I interviewed on campus with some businesses, but I wanted to be really in public accounting. So I ultimately moved to Minnesota. I went through the phone book and made cold calls to small firms. And lo and behold, one firm said, hey, we're looking for somebody. And I had, and they gave me the opportunity. Wow. I'm just curious, because I like to sort of explore the reality of these situations. Do you have any idea how many doors you had to knock on or numbers you had to dial oh. to get that opportunity? Oh, yeah. I just remember sitting there going over and then trying to figure out, how do you find out about a firm back then? We didn't have Google searches and all those things. So I'll bet I probably made 20 calls anyway here in town in Minneapolis area. Okay. Yeah. Most people would give up after three or four no's. <laughs> you know, right. well, and, and, well, and you know what? Only one firm, I only had one opportunity. So with all those calls and all the no's, that I ultimately only had one opportunity. And so when they offered me the position, I took it. I absolutely took it. And it was good experience. Definitely good experience. Yeah. yeah. 20 calls doesn't sound like a lot, but that's because we know it was 20. But when you're going through it, you don't know how many uh, it's going to be. So, <laughs> Right, right. Yeah, oh, yeah. 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 Okay. So what was that yeah. first job? Tell us about the firm a little bit and what did you do? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, you're making me think about things I hadn't thought about for years, by the way, Mark, which is... <laughs> So anyway, I hope this comes out without any profanity. You know, the very first <laughs> firm that I worked with was, was super small, and it fit like many of the small firm stereotypes, tax compliance primarily. Doing, they did a little, Back then, they're doing a lot of bookkeeping and transactional work and stuff like that, and working with just the mom-and-pop businesses around town here. But I'll tell you that the great thing, was the managing partner, maybe it was ahead of his time at that time. He's really big into giving clients a management letter. And I know we associate management letters today with audits and all those things, but no, they did monthly service work. And we always had to give this management letter outlining their business performance and ratios and and giving insights. And it really started me out on that, I think the right track and giving clients what they really want. It wasn't really ultimately the tax return, though that's what we were doing, or the financial statements. It was really, they wanted that management letter. They didn't get it. They were calling and they wanted those insights on how they're doing and what they should be doing, what areas they should be working on for improvement. So that's where I was at first. But I'll tell you, I wasn't there for more than a year. It was so small and I wasn't sure about the experience that I was getting when I talked to my friends that had also graduated and the experiences they're getting. So I made a move. I actually, at that time, then I'm now I'm knowing more about firms that are around town and there's a little larger medium-sized firm looking for somebody. And I moved on to a more traditional firm that also did audits. So okay. that was the beginning. Okay. That first year, though, that was good experience because there again, talking about this in 2021, we don't think about it, but we're talking about the early 80s and to do a management letter that gave an owner insights on their business, that was a little advanced back then. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was, absolutely. That was, that was value added because they, usually you just turned over the financial statements at that point. You know, they could, they, they right, could do on right. their own. So. 
So that, that was pretty good. <laughs> and, and I didn't realize the value back then, right? When I was going through that, I'm like, oh, this experience, this is terrible, you know, and we always have to write this management letter, and then we get it written up, and it's not like giving, you know, the right information, you know, the managing partner review, and it says, well, that doesn't say anything. Well, little did I know back then how important that was, as I realized today, how important those, those insights are. I'm not sure what milestones to hit on and what mm-hmm. was covered between there and starting your own firm. So take us through some of the milestones up to the point where you started Peterson, Peterson Associates. Yeah. Wow. That's a great question. So, you know, going to that traditional firm, I'll tell you one of the things I learned there was that I really don't like auditing. <laughs> I was hired to do work on audits. And after a couple of years of that, I went to the management partner and said, you know, really, this is not for me. And so I was able to really move over. I still had to do some audits. I had some clients that I had been with that they liked the continuity and the relationship. But I went into the tax area and started doing tax planning. And that's kind of where I found my passion, I think, because I think being an advisor and creating those relationships with clients and being able to pull in that tax aspect, you know, the whole tax planning part that kind of supported their goals and what they wanted to accomplish. That's really where I think I learned that's really where my passion was before I started out going off on my own. And then during that whole time period, they were very flexible in letting me start to volunteer and participate in different networking groups and just getting out into the uh, business environment to meet people. Okay. You mentioned going into industry, I think, in our pre-show conversation for a little while, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I forgot about that. I shouldn't forget about it because it's a big part of my career journey, really. So when I was at this smaller firm, a medium-sized firm, we did a lot of real estate audits. So we, our client base was primarily in the real estate industry doing land development, uh, property management, that sort of thing. And so one of our clients that I had developed a relationship with over the years there, he essentially hired me away. He said, we really need a controller, somebody move into the VP finance role at some point. We think we're ready for that. We'd like you to come on board with us. And I'm like, oh, I don't know. I like what I'm doing. I like the variety. And then they said, well, here's what we're going to pay you. And I said, I'm in. (laughs) And it was very good compensation. And I thought, well, I'll do this, right? This is me great. And they said, you know what? You're just going to enjoy it. We'll have fun. We'll have a good time. And they're a very active real estate developer here in the Twin Cities. And it was a great experience. And part of that might have been due to the fact that one of the owners had an accounting background and we just kind of related to each other to a certain extent. But I'll tell you what, I, I did it for three years. And during my review at the end of that third year, I said to him, I said, I really enjoy working here and everything, but I'm getting bored. I need to go back into public where I have multiple clients and that sort of thing. So I actually did a, did a nine month workout in a sense. Okay. But I said, I'll help you find somebody, but this was in the, this is like in December or beginning of January of the year. And I said, but I, I need to be off on my own by September at the end of September. And so I actually helped him find my replacement. A friend of mine worked for, originally worked the same small firm I did. He went on to PwC, or whatever it is, today's PwC, Pricewaterhouse. And I said, you know, you need to look at this job. He said, no, I really like it here at uh, at PwC. And he goes, I'm not going to change. And I said, you know, come on, let's go fishing this weekend. And so we were big on fishing back at the time. And I had a boat. I took him out on the boat. And then we talked about it. And I said, we're not going back into shore until you agree to at least meet these guys. (laughs) And he ultimately agreed to have an interview and he took the job and he has been there for 15, 20 years. So it worked out really well for everybody. At that point, then I was able to come back and create my own firm. Went off on my own. It was strictly myself at the very beginning and one admin person who had been at the small firm I was at as well. And she came along with me to start this firm years and years ago when I left the private industry. 
And they were my first client, of course, in consulting. And the relationships that I built when I was in private industry in the real estate development area, of course, led me to create this firm that was primarily focused in the real estate industry. That's where all my connections were. And we had the opportunity to pick up the Builders Association of the Twin Cities, which at the time was one of the largest building associations in the country as a client. And from that, we just really grew and built a strong real estate presence as a CPA firm here in the Twin Cities area. That's interesting because maybe it's just recent guests I've had on the show, but I've seen a lot of firms that start out doing pretty much any work they can get a hold of uh, because you have yeah. to pay the bills. And then later they niche down, but you, you started right. that way. Now, I started that way right away. Uh, that's where my comfort level was. That's really where our expertise was. I think when you focus and you have that industry expertise or you have that knowledge, and let's, say, let's not even say expertise, you just have the knowledge. You can walk it, you can talk it. And one of the advantages that I actually had is that I had been on the other side of the table, right? I had been in private industry with a real estate development company trying to do deals, trying to do new developments and dealing with all the issues and pressures that our clients dealt with, I was dealing with. And so coming back into that, it was an easy niche for us to really focus on. And so that's what I did. And I know our name when you and I talked pre interview was Peterson Peterson and Associates. So the other Peterson happened to be my wife and she didn't start with me right away. My wife is a CPA, much smarter than I. She actually did work at PwC or interned there, but she'd been working at a law firm in St. Paul, Minnesota and was ready to make a change. And I think it was my second year, maybe my third year being off on my own. And when I, of course, we all look at this tax seasons, right? Coming into tax season was my third year. It was probably only my second year of business, but third tax season. And I said, I need some help. If you want to leave, why don't you come with me and we'll work together. And wow, we worked together right up until I came to AICPA. My gosh. Okay. I figured it was wife or sibling or something. <laughs> yeah, years, right. I wasn't sure. I didn't what, realize can I? Long. Oh my gosh. Well, I was just going to say, can I, when you, when you didn't realize it was wife or sibling, it just reminded me the other thing that I don't think we talked about. So my parents were in the sciences, and so I was the first person to go into business and as a CPA. Well, then my brother followed my footsteps. He's a CPA, and he works in in banking industry. My wife is a CPA. We have three children. One is a CPA. One is taking the exam now. She has two sisters. They're both CPAs. So anyway, we're surrounded by a lot of CPAs trying to keep that pipeline full. Oh my gosh. Okay. You just named off another like four podcast guests I could have later. Yeah, right? I'm not going to pass over this because you had your firm for over 14 years. She started your third season. So any advice for working successfully with your spouse for so long? Any thoughts on that? (laughs) So what was great for us was a couple of things. One is it was nice because we both knew what each other was dealing with, right? We know the industry, we're in the same environment, same in the office, but what's great, here's the advice I would give, do not drive to work together. And I made that statement to her early on. I said, we're never driving together unless we absolutely have to. Like one car's in repairs, maybe we'll drive together. You need to have that space. Really, that's one of the things I miss is working with my wife over the years when I left, when I came to AICPA, not having that opportunity. But the one piece of advice is still not drive together. I told her, I said, you know, back when gas prices were rising, I said, gas has got to hit $4 a gallon before we're going to ride together. It hit $4 a gallon. I said, well, no, I think it has to hit five. (laughs) (laughs) We're still married today, by the way, Mark. We're still married today. Yeah, that's good. That's good to know. Thank you. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, well, yeah, obviously the secret works. The secret works. Yeah. So you did 
have your firm for a while, or, or the two of you, you'll have the firm for a yes. long time. I guess what were some of the milestones you know, during those 14 plus years in terms of growth or change? And then what eventually led you to decide to move on from that? Yeah, wow. Yeah, I suppose some of the milestones really had to do with just the relationships that we have with our clients. Clients go through all kinds of cycles of life. And even those clients that got divorced, uh, we were fortunate that none of them were too nasty. And we still were able to maintain relationships with both parties. I think other milestones are just, I'll tell you, one of the things that I was thinking about was when I was thinking about this interview is one of the great things that happened over the years was while we were a small firm, because I really am, as you get to know me, I'm really a small firm, not only a small firm advocate, I live, eat, and breathe small firm lifestyle or desire or career or profession, whatever, however we want to frame it. And what was great is that our small firm would go up against and have opportunities and go up against large firms that were really well known within the real estate industry in our market. And the Twin Cities market is a huge market and real estate development is a big thing. And we have some a lot of big commercial contractors that build around the country and we've worked with some of those. What's been great is that to be able to develop this expertise and relationships that we have clients to go up against a large firm that was super well known in the industry. And we're like, well, you know, if you don't choose us and you choose them, you're going to be well served, right? But when they turn around and say, no, we want you, that just said and spoke volumes to us and made us really proud about that because it wasn't based on price. We were a small firm, but we were competitively priced with the larger firms because we knew what our value was and felt what our value was. And we didn't want to just work and just kill ourselves. We wanted to have this career that paid back the dividends that we needed to live the lifestyle we wanted to live, but yet still stay true to who we are as people. And to be able to go up against those larger firms and get the jobs and have those relationships last for a long time was very, very rewarding. And people ask me, what do you miss about not being in public? It is that, is those relationships and the trust that we have with our clients. Okay. I remember that you going to AICPA and you exiting the firm was sort of connected. And now that I know the other Peterson Mm -hmm. was your wife, I'm sort of curious about (laughs) was there towards the end as well. So could you take us through that time period, that decision process and, and yeah. how it ended up going down? Yeah. I had actually spent a number of years volunteering with our Minnesota Society of CPAs and participating in our Legislative Affairs Committee and our PAC and all that and being active with the profession here locally. And we're trying to decide what were we going to do long-term, merge in with another firm for our future and grow it that way. Do we want to, or do we want to hire more younger people to maybe be ready to take over when we're ready to retire and that sort of thing? And couldn't really decide what we wanted to do. As my wife always said, it's your decision. And so I really had to figure this out. And, and AICPA thing wasn't even on my radar screen at the time, but I was involved in a AICPA networking group. And there was this guy named Jim Metzler and Jim, Jim was the vice president of small firm interest. And he was in a meeting and I met him on Zoom call really back when Zoom wasn't even that popular yet. And he Zoomed in and, and I met him and we're having this meeting and he's talked about he's retiring. And I thought, wow, you know, I wonder what that's all about. What that does that job entail? And he said, they're doing a nationwide search. And so I went back to my computer system and did some searching and I saw this posting for this position and I looked at all the experiences and stuff, what they wanted you to have an experience with everything that I had, right? The advocacy, the legislative, the volunteering and all those things. So I told my wife, I said, you know what? I think I'm kind of interested in this position at AICBPA. And she's like, yeah, go ahead. She thought it was a volunteer thing. 
And, <laughs> and because after I got started, she said, so how long does this go for? And I said, well, Joni, this is like a job. We got to do something with our firm here. And she goes, well, I don't want to take it over. So we started, anyway, we started talking, what are we going to do? And during the interview process with AICPI, I was actually, you know, that was one of the questions is, what are you going to do with your practice? Or is it just going to continue without you? And so I figured, oh, my gosh, we do have to have an extra strategy here. And I thought, you know what, I'm not going to get this job, but we better be prepared. And so it kind of pushed us to, to really decide and have those conversations and said, okay, what are we going to do? We don't have the time and the ramp up time right now to hire somebody to take over. We are going to have to merge in with a larger firm. And going through that process is some anxiety there. You know, the great thing is, as you are in the profession, you do network with a lot of people and you get to know managing partners of larger firms. And so a friend of mine who actually it ties back my very first job when I came out of college, I met Tom at the very first firm that I was only with yet for less than a year. And we had the same experiences, but now he's managing this G400 size firm. At the time, it was about 70, 80 people. And I said, Tom, I'm looking at, I'm probably not going to get this job, but I have to have an exit strategy. And we're also talking about what are we going to do long-term for the firm, for our succession. So would you guys be interested in taking us on? Because we're friends, he says, I got to take myself out of this, but I'll talk to my partners and they'll talk to you. And ultimately they said, you know, we're very interested in, in having you guys come on board, but we're not going to talk to you unless you're willing to do this, whether you get the job or not, because we want you to mentor our young people and our women to help them become partners here at the firm. That seems to be an area that we need somebody to focus on. And I'm like, I'm all over that. That's exactly who I am. I just would love to do that. So we also had our exit strategy. And I figured at the time, I was going through the process with the ICP, it was a four-interview process. I was after like interview number two, and I know they're still interviewing people. And I said, let's do this. And so we went through this whole due diligence with them, and I'm still going through the interview process, and I'm not thinking I'm going to get it, which is fine. I had this new exit strategy. I'm super excited about the firm. It's a larger firm. It had the same kind of small firm culture and personality that we did. And then when they said my last interview was with Barry Milan, son of AICPA, I said, it's cool. I said, I'm still not getting the job. And somebody else said, uh, Carl, think about this. Barry's not going to talk to you unless you're the last person standing. Like, ah, come on, that's not true. Well, turned out to be true. So <laughs> here I am. Wow. Yeah. A large part of our audience is earlier in their careers or just starting out. That's, that's sort of who we target the show at. Mm-hmm. And many of them go to larger firms and that kind of thing. But I know there's a lot of entrepreneurial spirit out there as well. I, given all your personal work history and now seven years mm-hmm. you know, at AICPA working in the small firm interest area, what do you think an individual that's young in the profession, so to speak, should know about the small firm market or or specifically about working at a small firm? I'll tell you, it's interesting. So one of the challenges that small firms have, and which we absolutely had, was when we needed another person and we were looking for somebody, especially if they had experience, but even if they didn't have experience, somebody out of college, there's a lack of awareness of a small firm. Or if they have some experience, they have this view or stereotype that they go, you know what, I'm not going to look at a small firm. And so small firms, but ads in different places to try to get somebody to at least interview for the position that's open. And it's difficult to get them because a lot of times they're like, oh, that's a small firm. And what they don't realize is the value and the lifestyle and the opportunities that small firms bring. And I find that now when I'm with AICPA because I meet with firms almost every week throughout the country now by Zoom, of course. But we talk about this a lot and it's a challenge because we had, so I remember before I came to AICPA, we were interviewing a few years earlier for somebody and 
he ended up interviewing with us because of our reputation in the real estate industry as a CPA firm. And he said, I'm concerned that you're a small firm. But after we had the interview, he's like, oh my gosh, I never realized this is what happened or what the environment or culture could be in this profession. And it can happen in a small firm. It can happen in larger firms too, but I think it's more of a struggle. And there's these firms that as I was growing up in the profession, you go, oh, you work for who? And so the firm that I worked for was one of those firms where it didn't get a lot, it had a great reputation in real estate, but it didn't necessarily, wasn't known necessarily around the cities as, oh, that firm. It's more like, oh, if any staff person is ever leaving that firm, we want to hire because they're great. And so people usually didn't leave. Well, that's kind of the firm that I wanted to be from a staffing standpoint. We want to make sure that you totally enjoy what you're doing, you're challenged, and you get that opportunity. And you get also those opportunities of of exposure way earlier than you will with a large firm with clients and, and responsibilities and all those things. But we wanted to be that firm where other firms said, hey, anytime you can get somebody from that Peterson firm, let's grab them because we know they're good. And that's who we wanted to be. And so the challenge is to get the small firms to, or the younger CPAs or younger professionals who maybe aren't a CPA to even look at a small firm. Let me tell you, can I tell you one another quick story? Oh, yes, please. All right. So years ago, when I was very active within the Minnesota Society of CPAs, there was a college student from the University of Minnesota accounting program looking for somebody. And I don't remember who they're looking for, but ultimately I was on the board of the Minnesota Society. They referred them, said, you should talk to Carl Peterson. And so when I talked to this young student, she was like, I, we never hear anything about small firms, right? I had no idea that you guys kind of didn't exist. We always thought it was, you know, the big four, EY, PwC, and, and then maybe Grant Thornton, all these other big firms. She was, how can we find out more about small firms at the academic or school level? So anyway, I just think it's interesting. It's a challenge for small firms to be noticed as it relates to young professionals coming into the profession. And the opportunities are phenomenal that if they just, had that opportunity to be aware. You've used the term small firm lifestyle a few times when you were talking about <laughs> So I can make some assumptions what you may mean about that, but could you expand on that a little bit? What do you mean by small firm lifestyle? Because I think that is part of the selling point. So Yeah, I'll try. So small firm lifestyle, it is a big part of different components. So small firm lifestyle to me is you can make a choice of how you want to live. You're not directed by a hierarchy that has other agendas than you do personally, and that you can make your own personal lifestyle choices of within a small firm, I am only going to work on these type of clients. I am going to make sure that I am creating these relationships that are long-term, long-lasting, but yet I'm getting paid fairly for the work that I do. I'm not being dominated by anybody else. I'm going to make that decision. I'm the business entrepreneur. It is more of this lifestyle of choice where it's not governed by larger governance structures. That might be one way to put it. Yeah. Thank you. Because I I was thinking in terms of maybe the work-life balance thing, but then also just variety. I hadn't really labeled it with the word choice like you are. That's a good description. Yeah. I'll tell you, at our small firms, and I think this is true of many small firms, is that the opportunity for young professionals to join a small firm, the opportunity there is that the way we operated was that Yes, I'm a partner. I'm an owner. Yep, that's all great. And I get to do what I want to do. And if my kids, as they're growing up, I'm going to see every single sporting event or activity they have. And that's what's going to happen. And oh, by the way, we're a small firm. You can do that too. You don't have to be an owner to do that. And so you're not necessarily going to get that choice 
and that opportunity in a larger firm structure. But you are more than likely to get that type of environment and choice and opportunity in a small firm because everybody can relate, the owners can relate to the needs of work-life balance and the family, and they'll offer that, I think, typically to their staff. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, we're not cutting it short because we still have several questions to go, and I hate to end this part because you've given us a really great overview of your full career. <laughs> this has been this has been <laughs> wonderful. I am curious, before we get to the final three questions, and, and I mm-hmm. ask a lot of guess this, but particularly with you, given the story you've told, if you could go back in time and give your younger self just one piece of critical advice based on what you know now, what would that be? (laughs) Boy, limiting it to one piece is difficult. (laughs) The one piece that I always say to people, no matter what, is be yourself. Be yourself because that is who people are hiring. Whether you're working for a firm, they're hiring you because of who you are. Yes, they have some expectations. You have technical competencies and all those things, but be yourself because that's who they're hiring. Or if you're an owner and you're a partner or you're starting your own practice, be yourself because that is going to make your life so much better in the long run. Because again, that's who the clients are buying. They're buying you not just your expertise and not just your capabilities. They're buying you and who you are as a person. So be yourself. I'm just curious. Do you know who John Garrett is? He has a podcast and talks about... No, I, I'm not. No. Okay. We'll have to talk about that later. He just put out a book called What's Your And? And that's mm. uh, a lot of his belief is be yourself in the workplace, not just your work self. You could talk about other things other than just accounting. But yeah, it's, I'd almost call it yeah. a movement, frankly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, we'll have to talk about that later. Sure. Yeah. Well, I do end every show with the same three questions, and we probably better get to those because I want to be respectful of your time as well. The first one's usually the easier one. From a career perspective, what's been your proudest moment? Oh, so (laughs) there's so many. If I could maybe kind of narrow it down to maybe more than just one, because part of me is like, boy, I was pretty damn happy and proud when I got hired by the AICPA. I mean, here I am, a small firm practitioner in Minnesota, had no clue who all the people were at AICPA. Yes, I volunteered for a committee and that sort of thing, but it's like there's this big organization, our big professional organization that is there for me. Getting hired in them was a super proud moment. I mentioned earlier, you know, like landing clients when they were competing against larger firms. That always made me super excited and happy. And then finally, just as you know me as a person, is if you get to know me, it's like, you know what? Being a parent is the best job in the world, and that's lifelong. So I don't know which of those three I would be able to choose, but all three of them are are my proudest moments. How many children do you have? We have three girls. Three girls. Wonderful. Sorry, I just had (laughs) – you just passed over that. You know, that's a very important part of life. (laughs) Yep, 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 absolutely. Well, second question, tell us about a lesson that you've learned the hard way. And the more you can tell us about the situation, the better, because that's really how we learn from these items. Yeah, I had a couple of thoughts, but I think probably the most one that ties into, again, when I say be yourself and who you are, here's a hard lesson that I learned. And it happened when we then we're going through this merger process and merging our firm into the larger firm. And so I had a early on in creating the firm, and this was even before my wife came into the practice, I had the opportunity to meet with a high-end home builder in town in the real estate industry and his assistant. And so I met with the two of them and they came on as one of my very first clients, not the first, but one of my very first in that first year. 
And over the years, and so I know you had mentioned 14 years, but actually it's been over almost 30 years. So this is like 25 years ago when I started the practice that we brought him in as a client. And so I've been with him a long time through all of their ups and downs, right? Business go through life cycles. He went through educating his kids and then bringing in them partners and growing his business as a high-end home builder here in the Twin Cities and went through a lot of things together and helped them achieve a lot of things. And we had this great relationship. And I mean, like I could call him if I had issues or I had concerns or wanted advice from a business standpoint and vice versa. It was just a, and we were working with then the incoming ownership group that was starting to take over the younger owners coming in. And the mistake that I made that I learned the hard way is through the merger mania in a sense, right? You're going through the big firms, going through all this due diligence, and then you're going through, yes, we're going to do this. And you're getting all excited about it. It's like, oh, you know, you have a non-disclosure agreement. You can't say anything to anybody. They control when it's going to be announced. And then there's all these things that have to happen. And then you get your letters ready to send out. But there are certain clients that you do communicate and talk to. And you call and say, hey, by the way, this is what we're going through. This is what we're doing. This is our plan. And this is why I think it's great for everybody, not just for us. It's great for you as well. I did not do that with that client. And when they got the letter, I never heard from them again, ever. And I reached out to them and I never heard again. And so when I talk about be yourself, be patient and listen, I didn't, <laughs> I made a mistake. I did not communicate with that client in the way I should have. And it just totally missed it. It just totally missed it. And it doesn't impact the firm going forward, right? It's one client, but it impacted me personally. And you can probably hear it. It still bothers me today. And it's been eight years since that happened. And I wow. kick myself all the time. That was that whole communication piece and being aware. But again, being yourself is important. And I missed it. So I'm going to ask a hard question here. I'm curious. So was it an oversight or was it? Just decision that looking back was wrong. <laughs> no, I think actually it was an oversight. On one hand, I'd like to think that it was, I could say, well, you know, our relationship was so strong. It wasn't going to impact it. I could call him anytime. No, I should have. It was an oversight. Totally missed it. And how can you miss that one client you've had forever who's been one of your best clients from a financial standpoint or a referral standpoint? I missed it. It was an oversight. So it could happen to anybody, but I still kick myself. Sure, sure. Okay, because there's a lesson in that as well. That's why. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Narrowing yeah down the for sure. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah. Well, thank you for being so open about that. Last question, and then we'll go ahead and close it down. What's the best okay. piece of advice that you have ever received? <sighs> listen. <laughs> Truly listen. So easy for any of us to have an idea or a response as somebody's starting to tell you their issues and their story. But oftentimes, if you don't listen, you're not going to hear the rest of the story. So that was the best advice. And I can't even remember who gave that to me early on, but listen, 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 and truly listen. Don't just act like you're listening. Truly listen. Yeah, that's that's what I will advise no matter what stage you're at in life. Right? <laughs> For sure. Uh, yeah, very true. Very true. Well, this has been a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much, Carl. I just realized if, if I don't ask you this, I, I'm sort of leaving this on the table and I shouldn't. If people want to find out more hmm. about the resources that AICPA has specifically for small firms, where do they go on the website? Is, is there a sub page? Where's the best way to start that search? Yeah, the best place to start that is actually the PCPS 
section. So AICPA has what are our teams and our section is called PCPS. It stands for Private Company Practice Section. It was developed and created originally years ago to be that small firm resource, that go-to place for small firms. And so while I'd like to say go to AICPA slash PCPS, I hate to say this, but it's probably easier to Google AICPA PCPS and you'll get the link to it right away. Beautiful. Beautiful. Well, hey, thank you again. I really appreciate you taking the time out for our audience because this, we got a lot more than I bargained for. This was a wonderful conversation. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> Good. Thank you. I did too, Mark. I really appreciate it. As you can tell, I'm passionate about all the things we talked about today. Definitely. That definitely came through. Well, that was my interview with Carl Peterson, the VP of Small Firm Interest at AICPA. And I don't know about you, but I really enjoyed this one. You can just hear the excitement pretty much constantly through the interview. He loves what he does. He talks about living and breathing small firm lifestyle, and that really comes through in the interview. And I also appreciated just how brutally honest he was about his college years and how he turned that around. I think that many people need to hear that, particularly at that point in life. And obviously, he has had a wonderful career, so turning it around does work. But I really appreciated how open he was about that. And then also, I started my own career in a small firm. And so I found a lot of truth in what he was talking about. You know, yes, you can have a tremendous start to your career working in a big firm or in big industry, but there's a lot of value and variety that small firms have to offer as well. And it's not as as a parent or obvious in the marketplace. So I really appreciated having just a, an honest and open discussion about that as well. Carl's doing a great job there being the VP of small firm interest. You can tell he's truly passionate about what he does. Well, as I mentioned in a previous episode, we are looking for an appropriate, and, and I stress the word appropriate, sponsor for our show as well. Something that would bring value to our audience, not just something that's being sold, but something that truly brings value to the accounting community. So if you know of someone or you yourself maybe are involved in a product or service that would bring value to the accounting community, please reach out to me. We've been doing a podcast for over four years now, so I'm not in a big hurry, but I'm open to those discussions at this point. Well, with that, I think I'll go ahead and wrap it up for this week. This has been Where Accountants Go, the Accounting Careers Podcast. I'm Mark Goldman, your host for the show, and we'll see you next week. There's more to come.